Welcome to the Faith for My Generation podcast, where our vision is to shake and shape a generation with the power of God's Word. We're on one mission, to raise up a generation of powerful believers through the relevant teaching of God's Word. I'm so thankful that you're here today. I'm your host, AJ. Let's get into the episode. God doesn't forget. Good morning. This is your wake up call. It's wake up call 097. God doesn't forget. This is the Faith for My Generation podcast, and I'm your host and happy to be so, AJ. Hey, I'm so glad that you're here. I pray that you had, for all the stateside listeners, a great Thanksgiving last week. We're back on it. I'm excited. We're in the full swing of Christmas around here at the house. The lights have went up, the tree has went up. Naomi and I have eaten our fair share of sugar cookies. And we're just getting started. (laughs) But I'm so thankful for you. I'm thankful that you're joining me, that you're watching, that you're listening. So thankful for everyone that leaves the reviews and, and lets me know that you're enjoying the podcast and that you are a part of the faithful. I really do appreciate you. Now, let's get into the episode. As I made that simple statement, three words might have shocked you a little bit, but I have a feeling you're going to be happy to know that God doesn't forget. That's right. God doesn't forget. Now, I know, I know you're probably thinking, now, wait a minute, wait a minute. I've always heard that, you know, for instance, like with our sins, that God does forget them. Well, actually, Isaiah 43, 25 says this, I, even I, am he who blots out your transgressions for my own sake, and I will not remember your sins. Now, obviously, God is making a decision that when we repent, when we come to Christ, and after we've come to Christ, if we fall into that and yield ourselves to temptation and commit sin and we repent of it, He washes us, He cleanses us, He forgives us, and then He makes a decision to remember it no more. What a faithful, loving, kind Father. What a good God we serve. But God doesn't forget. Let's go to Hebrews chapter 6. and I want to read a couple verses in Hebrews chapter 6 so that you can know and rejoice in the fact that God doesn't forget. Hebrews 6, verse 9, actually, is where I'm going to begin. Verse 9, and this is going to take a little bit of turn in direction from where we just spoke in Isaiah 43. Hebrews 6, verse 9, But, beloved, we are confident of better things concerning you. Yes, things that accompany salvation, though we speak in this manner. For God is not unjust to forget your work and labor of love, which you have shown toward his name, and that you have ministered to the saints and do minister. And we desire that each one of you show the same diligence to the full assurance of hope until the end, that you do not become sluggish, but imitate those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. God doesn't forget. I want to encourage you today that God remembers. He sees and He remembers your faithful work and your labors of love. To me, when I saw this verse, I mean, I'm like you. I've read my Bible for a long time. And if you're just on this journey of faith following Jesus, you've just come recently to the Lord, read your Bible 
Read it daily. Fill your heart with the truths of God's Word. Let it renew your mind. If you've been walking this journey following Jesus for decades, read your Bible every day. Let its truth fill your heart and your mind. Renew your mind. Be transformed by the power of His Word. There's no other way to live than in honor and obedience to the Word of God. But I want you to know that as you study the Word of God, it, it, it's, it's being revealed every time you open up your Bible. Every single time. And that should be your prayer. Every single time that you open up the Word of God, this, your prayer should be, Holy Spirit, teach me and instruct me. Because in John 14, Jesus says that the Holy Spirit, He is our teacher. He will teach us all things. He will bring to our remembrance that which we have need of concerning the Word of God in the time of need when you're witnessing to someone or you need to have your faith stirred up. The Holy Spirit is the master teacher. He is the one who inspired anointed men of old to write down the oracles and the prophecies and the Word of God. That's why the scripture we know and understand is God-breathed because it's the Spirit of God moving through people to write down this book that we call the Bible. And every time you open up your Bible, that should be your prayer. Lord, let by the power of the Spirit, let me have understanding and give me te- and teach me and give me understanding. 1 Corinthians 2 tells us that our spirit receives from the Holy Spirit. You know, the Word of God is a spiritual thing, so for us to receive from the Word of God, it has to be done by the Holy Spirit. It cannot be something that's natural, though our natural mind and our eyes and our senses, we're using those faculties to understand and read the Word, but we're not receiving by means of man, but rather by the Spirit. And so a few years back, I'm sitting in church, and I hear my pastor, who's also my dad, he reads this passage It's actually during the time of giving because specifically this account in Hebrews is referring to giving, giving of money. And when he reads Hebrews 6.10, it stuck with me. It just clicked. See, I've read it before, but that's what's so powerful about constantly reading your Bible daily, daily engaging in prayer, going to church and being part of a good Bible-believing church because you just don't know when God's going to use different opportunities to enlighten, fill up your heart, your mind, make something come alive. I'm just telling you, be consistent. Let me just, this little side note here that will bless you because it's blessed me. And I have to do this myself. I have to remind myself, I have to be consistent. Consistent in prayer. Consistent in study. Consistent in church. Consistent in serving consistent in becoming skillful in the gifts that God's given me, consistent in soul winning because the kingdom of God is like a seed. Mark 4, you plant that seed. First, you see a little little green shoot come up. Then it grows up into a big plant, and then that plant produces fruit. It's talking about wheat, but it refers to the ear of corn. We might think corn on the cob here in the U.S. or specifically in the South and through the Midwest where you can see rows and rows of ears of corn. But specifically, the ear of corn is a generic term concerning the crop of wheat or barley or grain. First the seed is planted, then the little green sprout comes a week or two later, then over a course of a month or so, you have the full plant, and then over a season it produces fruit. That's how the Word of God works. You're you're planting it in your heart. That's how the kingdom of God works, Jesus said. The kingdom works that way. 
progress. There is a process of faith in every area of your life. And so a little detour there, but it's part and parcel of what we're seeing is this. God remembers your good works. He remembers your works of faith and your labors of love. He remembers them. And, and when that hit me a few years back, and, and see now, I'm just now getting around to this. Well, not getting around to it, I shouldn't say that. But it's just now getting stirred up in my spirit to give this to you, the faithful, so that you and I can better understand what God's saying here in Hebrews 6, verses 9 through 12. So isn't that wonderful? Isn't that beautiful? Something that sparked my heart a few years back. It's been just rolling over my heart, my mind. It's something I knew personally. But now, by the good grace of God, we all get to benefit from the teaching and instruction of God's Word. And Hebrews 6.10 tells us, God is not unjust. Now, just think about that. Let's, let's, let's sit on that. Let's think about this for a second. For God is not unjust. Well, we could, be, we could be there for the rest of the day, couldn't we? You know, there's some people that act like God is unjust. They, they portray Him like He is an unjust judge. You know, in Luke 18, Jesus teaches this parable concerning persistence in prayer. And He gives this example of this precious... Uh, let me look, look 18, let me look. I was going to say widow woman. Is she a widow woman? It may just be a lady... Luke 18 just came to my mind. Bear with me here. We're, we're going on. We're moving with the Spirit. It is a widow. Luke 18, 1. Then he spoke a parable to them that men always ought to pray and not lose heart, saying there was a certain in a certain city a judge who did not fear God nor regard or respect man. Now there was a widow in that city, and she came to him saying, Get justice for me from my adversary. And he would not the unjust judge, for a while. But afterward he said within himself, Though I do not fear God, nor regard man, yet because this widow troubles me, I will avenge her, lest by her continual coming she weary me. Then the Lord said, Hear what the unjust judge said. Who shall And shall God not avenge his own elect who cry out day and night to him, though he bears long with them? I tell you that he will avenge them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he really find faith on the earth? Now, some people, unfortunately, they've read even this passage, and they think, okay, all right, so God is an unjust judge that I have to weary and wear down before he answers me. No, that's the exact opposite of what Jesus is saying. He's showing that in the case of this widow woman, which is a parable, it's a teaching story, he's saying in the case of this widow woman, Think about it. She's a widow woman. So more than likely, not always, but more than likely, she's probably an older lady who has lived some time. Her husband has now passed away. So she's, I'm making an assumption here, just fair warning, but I would assume she's probably an elderly lady. She's also widowed. So in this day and age she lives, she doesn't have much help on her side. The Bible actually instructs the care of widows is to be done by the sons and nephews and brothers and brothers-in-laws and those people of that nature. And so if she's a widow indeed, that would mean that she literally has no one close by to help her in her predicament or her situation. She's desiring justice. 
And she unfortunately lives under the domain in a city of a wicked, unjust judge. How do we know he's wicked and unjust? (laughs) He doesn't fear God and he doesn't respect man. What a terrible person to, to be a judge. What a terrible type of person to be a judge. I don't fear God and I could care less about man. It sounds like, again, another assumption, but it sounds like probably all he cared about was probably bribes. <laughs> he certainly didn't care about the justice of this widow woman, but because she was persistent, she got what she asked for. Now, verse 8 tells us that our God of, uh, speedily avenges his children who cry out day and night. Speedily, not, not slowly. Doesn't have to be worn down, doesn't have to be wearied. Speedily, quickly, fast avenges his children. I make that point because some people in their mind, whether they realize it or not, they think God's unjust. But Hebrews 6 9 or 6 10 tells us God is not. He is not. He is not unjust. He is not unjust. We could say the opposite, and it would be true, right? God is just. God is righteous. God is just. Okay, how is he just? How does he display that he is just? Or how does he prove that he is not unjust? By not forgetting. God doesn't forget. And that's why I opened up this episode with that simple statement, three words, God doesn't forget. Now, He's so kind and merciful to forget and make a decision to not remember our sins. But what has He also made a decision to remember? What has God decided and He has determined And he says, it is only right of me for me to remember. It's your works of faith and your labors of love. Verse 10, for God is not unjust to forget your work and labor of love, which you have shown toward his name in that you have ministered to the saints and do minister. Now, in this particular setting the specific work of faith and labor of love that the author that I believe to be Paul of Hebrews is referring to is the offerings that these people, the Hebrews, this audience that would first have received this letter, they have taken up offerings to send to the poor saints in Jerusalem. Why are there poor saints in Jerusalem? Between famine and persecution, they have, and then in Acts 2, they sell everything. Many people in Acts 2, they think, Jesus told us he's coming back. All right, why do I need a house? Why do I need a farm? Why do I need anything? Let's just sell it and just wait. They didn't take also when Jesus said, occupy till I come. Right, we have to take the entire word of God in balance with the word of God. Anybody can get messed up if they take one portion of Scripture, pull it out of context, and go far to one side or the other of the road 
far left ditch, far right ditch. No, if you want to drive and get somewhere, you drive down the middle of the road. Stay in your lane. Don't get in the ditches. So this specific instance here, this work of love, or work of faith, rather, and labor of love that is being referred to in Hebrews 6.10 is concerning the Hebrews giving, the Hebrew Christians, their giving to the poor saints in Jerusalem. Now, what I think is so powerful about this is that, one, God is not unjust to forget. He is just to remember. He remembers your works of love or works of faith and your labors of love. Now, I'm adding faith to it, but it says your work and labor of love. But we can see that works are attached to faith. In fact, in Ephesians chapter 2, I think uh, we actually did a a wake-up call on this earlier this year. I think it's called Grace, Faith, and Works. And very briefly just kind of covered their connection and how they're all all work together. You know, sometimes people fall one side or the other. Well, grace, well, faith. What about works? They're all connected. Hebrews 2 verse 8 says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, salvation, lest anyone should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works that which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So notice there is grace, faith, and works. If you go to James chapter 2, we see, in fact, let me read it. I'm just one book over. James chapter 2, verse 17. Thus also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. So that's why I'm using the phrase works of faith. Because truly, it is that which we do in faith that pleases God. Is it Romans uh, 14? I'm got, got, I'm just got references kind of jumping out in my mind here. Romans chapter 14, verse 23. But he who doubts is condemned if he eats because he does not eat from faith. For whatever is not from faith is sin. So obviously, the work that God's going to remember is works done in faith. For faith without works, it's a dead faith. And God's not going to remember a dead faith. But he does remember living faith and he remembers our labor of love. Now, if you continue to read in verse 10 of Hebrews 6, you have shown toward his name. Now, I love that. I love that. God doesn't forget. He doesn't forget your works of faith, your labor of love. That's toward other people because the end of verse 10 says, in that you have ministered to the saints and do minister. So, When you and I are ministering to other people, when we're walking this life of faith, we're walking by faith, not by sight, 2 Corinthians 5, 7. When we're doing the work of God, when we're laboring in love and showing God's love through what we do, what we speak, winning people to Christ, being a part and serving in our church, fellowshipping with other believers, helping people out in the name of God, walking in this earth, in this life, like Jesus would. Hebrews 10, 38, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and with power, who went about doing all good works, good deeds, and destroying the works of the devil. Or is that 1 John 3, 8? Let's, let's read that. Acts 10, healing all that were oppressed of the devil is the last part of that. Acts 10, 38, How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and with power, who went about doing good, healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God 
was with him. First John 3, 8 was the other one that I had in my mind where it tells us that Jesus appeared to destroy the works of the devil. First John 3, 8, he who sins is of the devil for the devil has sinned from the beginning. And for this purpose, the son of God was manifested that he might destroy the works of the devil. So our labors of love and our works of faith, though they are towards people, the saints, in the verse 10, you minister to the saints and do minister. So you Hebrew believers, you have ministered to the saints in Jerusalem and you're continuing to minister to the saints in Jerusalem. That in God's eyes and in his remembrance, it is works of faith, it is labors of love. And he doesn't forget those things. And even though you're showing those towards people, it's honoring God's name. And I, that's I love that. Some people might say, I want to do something really, I want to do something great for God. I, I want to show God that I love him, okay? Do his work. Help build his church in the earth. Win people to Jesus. Come alongside other believers and help them grow in their walk in Christ. Help make disciples. And in doing those things, the will of God, the will of the Father on the earth, you're showing honor toward the Lord. You're laboring and working not just among people and for people, but for God. And that's why God doesn't forget he does not forget your works of faith, your labor of love. Why is that important for you and I to remember that? Because if we don't have an understanding and a knowledge and a faith knowing that God sees, you know, in Genesis chapter 16, I made a reel about this, put it on Instagram and TikTok and all that, YouTube shorts, all that. The God who sees uh, El Royai. It's when Hagar encounters God. And she calls him by name the God who sees because she felt she was unseen. She's cast out of Abram and Sarah's household. She's in the wilderness. She's ran away. She's with child. She has Ishmael, her son, that she's taken with her. And she feels like she's all alone. And God finds her, blesses her son for Abraham's sake, and then tells her to go back, submit, I'm going to take care of you because I'm the God who sees. You know, some people feel like that God doesn't see them. I'm, I want you to know that God is watching. Now, that's good <laughs> if you're doing works of faith and labors of love. It's bad if you ain't. <laughs> but we're the faithful. We're going to do works of faith and labors of love. Now, why is it important for us to build up our faith knowing that God remembers those things? Because without believing that God knows, sees, and remembers those good things we do in faith and in love, we'll quit. We won't persevere. But if we know that God's watching, He's seeing, and He remembers, and He blesses and honors us for what we do, that, my friend will add perseverance to your works of faith and labors of love. 1 Corinthians 15, 57, this is probably a familiar verse. It says this, But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Now notice verse 58. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. 
So verse 57, at least for me, I know in my life, it's very, I've heard this verse so many times and it's so powerful. Thank God we have the victory in Christ, period. No ifs, ands, or buts. I have, you have, the faithful, we have the victory in Christ Jesus. It's blood-bought and it's ours. And in light of that victory, we are to be steadfast, immovable, always abounding. Steadfast is rooted. Immovable can't be shaken. Always abounding, I'm going forward, never back. In the work of the Lord. In these works of faith and labor of love that God doesn't forget, we are to be steadfast, immovable, and going forward, always abounding, growing, progressing. Why? Why would we do that? Why would we persevere? Because we know that our labor is not in vain in the Lord. In other words, what you do for the Lord, it matters. I've prayed this. I have an outline that my father, my pastor, put together um, concerning praying the Lord's Prayer, and it goes through a list of the names of God because the first portion of the Lord's Prayer that Jesus taught in Matthew 6, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed or holy is your name. And so it goes through those listings of names, and I just begin to praise God. And one of them is Jehovah Nisi, the Lord God, our banner. And I read this verse out loud. I say, Lord, I thank you that you've given me victory. And because you've given me victory, I'll be steadfast, unmovable, and I'm going to abound in good works unto you because I know that what I do counts. Maybe I don't see it right here in this moment. Maybe it takes a few days, weeks, months, or maybe sometimes it takes a while, or there may be some things that the Lord would have you do, and you don't yet see with your natural eyes what it produced, but on the other side of life, in eternity, you'll meet people that are in heaven because you were faithful. And we have to live by faith knowing that what we have done and what we are doing, it counts, it matters, and God doesn't forget it. Just a few examples as I finish up with you today at this wake-up call. Man, I'm, this is blessing me. I pray it's blessing you as well. There's a few different examples. Now, these, this is not a complete list, my friend, but this is just some quick examples. Genesis 18, God didn't forget Abraham. God, before he brings judgment against Sodom and Gomorrah, those city nations, for their sin just being consumed in sexual perversions, many sexual perversions like homosexuality and different sexual perversions and just lewdness and casual sex that was just so flippantly abused in those city nations um, that we see unfortunately on the rise in many nations of the world and in my nation, uh, many that are watching and listening. 90% of the faithful uh, that listen are in the U.S., my friend, my friend, we have to believe God for a great stirring in our nation that people would come to repentance because the very things that were being done in Sodom and Gomorrah, they are being celebrated in our nation and other nations of the earth. And we have to stand true, stand honorable, and speak out against sin that is sending a generation to hell. Genesis 18, 19, God didn't forget Abraham. Before he brings judgment against Sodom and Gomorrah, he says this, For I have known him, referencing Abram, Abraham, in order that he may command his children, his household after him, that he may keep the way of the Lord to do righteousness and justice, that the Lord may bring to Abraham what he has spoken to him. God of heaven and earth, the creator of all things, he said, wait a minute, 
before I bring righteous judgment against the city nations of Sodom and Gomorrah, first, I need to go talk to Abraham because I know him. I know what he has done. I know he's faithful. He's obeyed me up to this point, and I know what he's going to do. God didn't forget. God did not forget Abraham's nature, his character, or his faithfulness. Another Old Testament saint, 2 Kings chapter 20, God didn't forget Hezekiah. Hezekiah was a good king in the reign of Judah. You read through 1 2 Kings, 1 2 Chronicles, man, it's just back and forth. Good kings, bad kings, more bad kings than good kings, unfortunately. But Hezekiah was a good one. He trusted God. But it says this in verse 1 of 2 Kings 20, In those days Hezekiah was sick near death. And Isaiah the prophet, the son of Amos, went to him and said to him, Thus saith the Lord, Set your house in order, for you shall die and not live. Verse 2, Then he turned his face toward the wall, this is Hezekiah, and prayed to the Lord, saying, Remember now, O Lord, I pray, how I have walked before you in truth and with a loyal heart, and I have done what was good in your sight. And Hezekiah wept bitterly. Hezekiah had destroyed all the idols, and the Astaroth poles, and the bells, and the altars, and the places of burning incense, and the houses of male and female prostitution, and all the wickedness that came with pagan worship. He went through the land of Judah and cleansed it. Even had a, a revival in his day where remnant of Israel, Ephraim, Manasseh, Simeon, different people that weren't in the Judean kingdom, because at this point there's a division of kingdoms, they came to Jerusalem, which had not happened in years to serve the one true God. And Hezekiah, he hears this report from Isaiah, the man of God, saying, hey, get your house in order. It's now time for you to die. And Hezekiah turns to the Lord and says, Lord, remember. Now notice what happens. Verse 4, it happened before Isaiah had gone out to the middle court that the word of the Lord came to him saying, return and tell Hezekiah, the leader of my people, Thus says the Lord, the God of David, your father, I have heard your prayer. I have seen your tears. Surely I will heal you. On the third day, you will go up to the house of the Lord. I will add to your days 15 years. I will deliver you and this city from the hand of the king of Assyria. And I will defend this city for my own sake and for the sake of my servant, David. In the life of Hezekiah, God didn't forget. Last one I'm going to leave you with today. Mark 14, New Testament example. Mark 14, this is at the close of Jesus' ministry on the earth, right before he goes to the cross of Calvary to die on the cross for our sins that we might receive eternal life through the power of his resurrection. Mark 14, verse 3 says this, And being in Bethany at the house of Simon the leper, as he sat at the table, a woman came having an alabaster flask of very costly oil of spikenard. Then she broke the flask and poured it on his head. But there were some who were indignant among themselves and said, Why was this fragrant oil wasted? For it might have been sold for more than 300 denarii and given to the poor. And they criticized her sharply. They scolded her. But Jesus said, Leave her alone. Why do you trouble her? She has done a good work for me. For you have the poor with you always, and whenever you wish, you may do them good. But me? 
you do not have always. She has done what she could, and she has come beforehand to anoint my body for burial. Notice this, verse 9. Assuredly, I say to you, wherever this gospel is preached, in the whole world, what this woman has done will also be told as a memorial to her. This precious woman, she came to anoint Jesus' body before his death. Now, I mean, she must have been led by the Holy Spirit. We see this. We see many people led by the Spirit of God, even prior to Acts chapter 2. All through Scripture, we see people led by the Spirit of God. She had to have been led by the Spirit of God because Jesus was in a room filled with people. And there was one person in the entire room that understood the time she was living in. Think about it. What if she said, you know what, this is crazy. Why would I spend a year's worth of wages on an alabaster box, a clay container filled with precious perfume oil and break it over one man, not use it for the rest of my life for special occasions, but bust it out, pour it out as an offering, one-time use, years worth of money that it took me to earn. Why would I do that? Why would she do that unless she understood this is my one chance? This is the one time that I can do something for Jesus because he's done so much for me. If she didn't go that night, we would have never known that she did this. She would have never done it. There wasn't a second opportunity because Jesus is then betrayed just a few hours later. Jesus is betrayed and arrested and taken to be crucified. And there would never be another opportunity for this work of faith and labor of love. And guess what? God didn't forget. Jesus said in his own words, in verse 9 of Mark 14, wherever the gospel's preached, you're going to hear about this woman's work of faith and labor of love. For all of eternity, as long as the gospel stands, so will the testimony of this woman and her faithfulness. Oh, if I could leave you with one thing this morning, this morning, (laughs) during this episode, thought I was in church for a second. If I could leave you with one thing at the end of this episode, do not grow weary, don't faint, don't give up. Keep working works of faith. Keep laboring labors of love. Because God doesn't forget. Hey, I'm so thankful for you. I'm thankful for each and every member of the faithful. I truly do love you with the love of the Lord, and I pray that you have a great rest of your week. And as we finish up this year and we venture into a new year, I'm excited for what the Lord has in store for you because we are the faithful. I'll see you next time. God bless. Thanks so much for joining me for this episode of the Faith for My Generation podcast. Remember, every Monday I've got a brand new wake-up call for you, and every Thursday I've got a brand new episode right here on Faith for My Generation podcast. And remember, we are the faithful.